just two more prayer requests before we pray. Uh, one is Miss Theba's uh, mother, Miss Ida, and she's been here several times. You know her, and she passed away yesterday afternoon. So we keep that family in our prayers. And also, uh, if you would pray for Miss Billy Brown, um, her family decided it was best for her to be close to her daughter in Alexandria. So she's gone there to live, or going to be living in a retirement uh, apartment. And so uh, we just lift her up in our prayers. And uh, she would like to stay in touch, and so we can get you addresses and phone numbers. And, and uh, she's sad. I mean, she's going to miss being here, but they decided that will, that's what was best for her. And so we lift them up in our prayers also. Let's pray. Our Father, we come here expectant today. Our Lord, you have given us an anticipation in our heart of meeting with you. And I pray, Lord, that that you will speak to our hearts today as we worship you. Lord, we acknowledge you as our God and as our Father, as being the only God. There is no one else like you. And Lord, today as we gather to worship through our worship, we are saying to you uh, that you alone are God. Uh, We are exalting you in our hearts and in our praise and our thanksgiving uh, to that level of which you alone are worthy. Because you alone are worthy of our praise. And Lord, as we gather together to lift up our voices and worship to you, we also acknowledge to you that we are uh, feeble still. Uh, We are unable to worship you in a way that's worthy of you on our own. uh, Because we still are a sinful people at times. And so we pray for forgiveness of our sin. We pray that you'll just uh, remove any barrier between us and you. And I just pray that you'll just allow our praises to flow forth towards you. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless us with the manifest uh, presence of your Spirit so that we might experience you in a new and a deeper way, that we might rejoice once again in the salvation that you've given us through Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we love you. We recognize from your word and we understand that you loved us first, that enabled us to love you. But we still want to express to you our love. I thank you, Lord, for your commands, for your teachings, for your principles that keep us on the right path. And I pray today, Lord, that we will hear once again from your word the wonderful gospel and news of salvation. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that needs to respond to that truth, I pray that you'll move them within their heart to surrender their will and their selves to you and to your Lordship. Lord, we lift up our needs that we have mentioned this morning. We do pray for the Murray family that you will continue to give grace and comfort and strength. We pray also for Theba and her family, for her brothers and sisters in the death of Miss Ida. We thank you for the privilege that we had to know her and to spend some time with her. I lift up Miss Billy also to you. Uh, Lord, it is with sadness that she uh, goes to live in another place, but uh, we just trust that that's the best for her and for, for her health. And I pray that we'll continue to minister to her even from afar and we'll stay in touch with her. And I pray that you'll bless her. You'll allow her to continue service in some way to you through that uh, church there. 
Thank you for each one who's here this morning, Lord. You have drawn us together for the express purpose of worshiping you. And so we offer up to you ourselves. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The question this morning we sometimes ask and want to make sure that those who are here know of whom do we worship. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. We worship Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God who came, lived on earth, crucified, but three days later rose again. That's whom we worship, Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. Oh, worship the King. Hymn number 24. Join me as we worship this morning together. I'm going to ask this morning, stand with me as we worship the King. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. And gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light. Whose canopy's face His chariots of wrath The deep thunder clouds form And dark is His path On the wings of the storm Frail children of dust And feeble as frail And thee do we trust Nor find thee to fail Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Amen. You may be seated. I want to, this morning you to listen to the reading of God's Holy Word. Miss Nellie. Turn to the Lord, and He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will freely 
for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As rain and snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. The same is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the evergreen pine tree, and instead of the briar, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's glory, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Amen. Colossians 3.11 declares to us, Christ is our all in all. You are my strength when I'm weak. You're the treasure that I seek. Join me as we worship together, hymn 143. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb, In my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Once again, Jesus, Lamb of God, Word. 
the Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. One of the things we're grateful for is Jesus called me by my name. This morning I want to ask Brother Marvin, if you'll just open us in a word of prayer as we think about Jesus calling us by our name. Thank you, Brother Marvin, if you will come and open us in that word of prayer. I want you to listen to the words of this song. It's one of my favorite songs. Brother Marvin, you bless us with a word of prayer. Good morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, how excellent is thy name. Father, this is the day that you have made, and Father, we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, dear God, for these your people. We have come out to serve you today in spirit and in truth. We lift up, Father, this worship experience. We pray that hearts will be touched, minds will be changed, and someone may come and say, what must I do to be saved? I thank you, dear God, for invoking the presence today of your Holy Spirit. Father, may your word today fall fresh on these, your children. Father, we know that faith come by hearing and hearing by your word. So I increase our faith on today as we hear your word through songs and through your spoken word through Brother Mike. We pray to God this day that, Father, we not only be hearers of your word, but we can lead this place being doers of your word. Amen. This day, we be so careful to give you glory, honor, and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and with thanksgiving. And the people of God says, Amen.
it made me think back what we were talking about last Sunday, but I'm not going to go back and go over that again. But it did remind me uh, when we talked about the story of Zacchaeus last Sunday. Uh, you know that uh, Jesus was walking along. He saw Zacchaeus up the tree. Now, you cannot tell me he, did, he wasn't looking for Zacchaeus. He went looking. Zacchaeus was looking also. There was something in his heart that bothered him. He wanted to go see who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. But when Jesus came to that tree, he called Zacchaeus by name. There's no doubt in my mind, Jesus went looking for Zacchaeus. And he found him, just as Sandy sang about. Well, we're not going to go through that sermon again, so I want to look at Luke chapter 19 today, verses 28 through 44. 28 through 44, and I'll read those uh, verses as we come to them in our study. So I'll just refrain from right now in reading them. But I've entitled the sermon today, The Desire of All Nations. Now, that term is not in this passage here. I just decided to name this sermon, The Desire of All Nations. It comes from the book of Haggai. Haggai was a a prophet, and after the children of Israel had gone into exile, they came back to uh, the promised land. They were allowed to return. And and one thing they wanted to do, of course, under Nehemiah, was rebuild the wall around the city. Uh, They did that, and then they wanted to rebuild the temple. Now, in Haggai, they kind of got cold feet. They didn't want to proceed as God had told them to do in building the temple. And so in Haggai, this phrase is used to describe the resources that were going to come to them to be able to carry out the remainder of the building process. Now, in some of the new translations, I say new like in the last 50 years, except for the NIV, uh, they just referred to God providing the treasures that they would need to rebuild the temple. But in the old translations and, uh, and in the commentaries that go back to the 2nd and 3rd century, they personify this treasure and they capitalize it because they see it as the coming of the Lord Jesus again when he comes back to his temple in all his glory. And therefore, in the old versions, they refer to Jesus as the, as the desire of all nations. And so that's why I've entitled this sermon this morning, The Desire of All Nations, to bring us around to this question we're going to look at in this passage today. It's a very familiar passage to you. It's when Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem, and they, we usually call it Palm Sunday, if that will be clear enough. And that's the passage we're looking at today. But the question I want to ask you is this. Is Jesus who you think he is? Is Jesus who you think he is? Now, your first reaction is, well, sure he is. But I want you to think about that as we go through. That is a problem today. Not only in the world, it's a problem in the church. If Jesus is actually who he claimed to be, and if we know him as he manifested himself to us, is Jesus who you think he is? Now, the question, of course, was put to the apostles, to the disciples, and you remember Peter's answer. He says, well, Jesus is asking them, who do men say that I am? And he, they listed off a bunch of guys, you know, like Elijah and John the Baptist and so forth. And Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what we want to look at today, the Christ. Now, this passage, again, is a familiar passage to us. We usually read it, you know, a week or two before Easter. And, I, I, you know, I get caught up in that, too, because we get to Easter time and the preachers think they're supposed to preach on the Easter passages. So we preach on Palm Sunday and then, then we preach on the Last Supper and then we preach on the, you, you end up cramming the crucifixion and the resurrection all into one or two sermons. And you just do it all at that time. Well, it's not Easter time. So we're going to slow down. 
And as we work, continue to work our way through Luke, it allow us to look at a little bit more detail at some of these passages we just try to hit the high points on at Easter time. And so today we're looking at that event that's usually called Palm Sunday. And the question I ask you about, is Jesus who you think he is? It's because you're going to see in this passage, he was thought of by many of the people in Jerusalem as the Messiah. So is that right? Yes, it's right. But it was their understanding of the Messiah that was wrong. Uh, We can claim Jesus. We can claim we trust and believe in Jesus. Are we believing in the Jesus of the Bible? Now, there's a survey I read, and I cannot find it. I cannot go back and find it. I haven't been able to yet. A survey I read several years ago, maybe it was in Christianity Today, maybe another um, uh, form of literature, but it was a pretty broad survey asking people what they thought Jesus was like. You know, it went in detail, even, even, even physically, his temperament, how he was, what he even looked like. It went in pretty much detail. You know, when it was all over, you know what they found out? The vast majority of respondents had described themselves. Now, I'm not saying that somebody in there wasn't right, because there's a lot of different people, right? You know, somebody, somebody got it right in there. But overall, in their respondents to the survey, they found mainly they were describing themselves. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't have gotten caught up in the same thing. What I'm saying is we've got to be really careful that we have not crafted a Jesus that fits our expectations. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage today. Because the Christ, and I hope you understand this, or you already knew this, the Christ, Messiah, same word. Once from the Hebrew, one's the Greek. Messiah Christ was misunderstood and rejected. And I fear too often today that Christ is misunderstood and rejected. So, in Luke chapter 19, let me read the major portion of it first, verses 28 through 40. And when he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Beth. Beth Page, or if you're a stickler for pronunciation, it's actually Beth Page, but I'll stick with Beth Page, and Bethany. At the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the, on the way down the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now the first group of people I want us to look at this morning are those who were receiving the Messiah and the Messiah's entry on their own terms. They were receiving him on their own terms. In their mind, he's there fulfilling their expectations. Not necessarily fulfilling what God the Father had intended. In their mind, as they received Jesus into the city, he was there, in their mind, fulfilling their expectations. So what were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And, in, and from their Old Testament passages, and how their religious leaders had interpreted the Old Testament passages down through the time of Jesus, they were looking for a Messiah. But the Messiah they were looking for was to be a warrior king. Jesus, in their mind, would not have been the first. There had been others who had come and they had called them or thought they were messiahs. Even leading the people in revolts against the Roman government on different occasions. But they were short-lived and they were either disposed of or killed and the revolt died down. But it was their hope in their mind that somebody would come along to restore the nation to its influence and to its power and to its identity. It had been 600 years, 600 years since somebody, a descendant of David, had been on the throne as king. What are they looking for? They're looking for a king to come back as a descendant of David, as a warrior king, and restore, physically restore, their nation. Now, you say, well, I I read the Bible. I read when Jesus was born. I know they had a king. They did. King Herod. King Herod was not of David's descent. King Herod was not even from Judea. There was a, 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 a province of Rome south of Judea called Idumea. Herod was from there. He was simply a political appointee. He was friends with the Roman emperor, who was Octavian. Before that, he had been friends with Mark Anthony. Only problem is, Mark Anthony lost. So he had to pivot real quick and become friends with Octavian, so he retained his kingship over Judea, but he was not in the lineage of David. 600 years they're looking for a king to come and restore their nation. So when Jesus comes in, this must be him. Our expectation is that the Messiah will come and establish, reestablish the nation of Israel independently in all all of its former glory and power. That's what they were looking for. Did they have the Old Testament? Well, of course they had the Old Testament. Let me read to you a prophecy from the Old Testament from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In their mind, this is the warrior king. Yes, we have the Old Testament prophecy. Yes, He's coming into the city on the foal of a donkey. Yes, we believe in the Messiah. Yes, we believe in the prophecy. But their understanding of what the Messiah, who He was and what He would do, was off base. They spread their cloaks. Have they seen that before in Old Testament Scripture? Yes. In 2 Kings 9, Jehu is made king. What do they do? They welcome him by taking off their cloaks and throwing it on the ground before him, announcing he is our king. You see, they're following all the script, aren't they? They even promote the Messiah. In Psalm 118, it it speaks about the one who will come. And we have a portion of that here when it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes. Other gospels say, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna or Hoshana means, Save us. Save us now. So when Jesus comes in, they're even quoting from Psalm 118. It was called, one of the psalms that they quoted from was called the Hallel Psalms. They would sing them during Passover, which is coming up that week. Jesus, when he met with his disciples on the Last Supper, probably sang from Psalm 118. You see, everything is matching up in their mind. The Messiah, just as we understood would come in the lineage of David, the king, we're going to throw our cloaks in front of him just like we have other kings during Old Testament times. We're going to welcome him with words from the prophecy, from Psalm. He's even riding on the coat of a donkey, just like Zechariah prophesied. Were the praises of the people wrong? No and yes. No, they weren't wrong to sing the praises of Jesus as He came in. In fact, what, what does Jesus say? that When the Pharisees said, tell, you, tell your uh, followers to be quiet here. Jesus said, no. I mean, if they were to be quiet, the stones uh, would sing out. Somebody's going to announce, I'm coming into the city, is what Jesus is saying. So were they wrong in praising Jesus coming in? No, they weren't wrong in what they were saying, but they were wrong in what they were expecting. God still moved them, even in their ignorance, to voice the truth, though. And during this this final week of Jesus, that's not the only time that would happen you see, in one of the other Gospels, it mentions the, the high priest, Caiaphas. And Caiaphas said that it would be better for one man to die 
for the sins of the people than for all the people to die. Now, what Caiaphas meant was it's better to keep down any disturbance or any revolt because we don't want the Romans to come here and, and put us all down. So let's just let one man die so that we don't all have to die. That's what Caiaphas was thinking. But do you realize what he's saying? He's actually saying the truth. It's better for one man to die for the sins of all the people than for all the people to die. That's what's going on here as Jesus makes his progression into the city. The people, God's actually moving them to voice truth although they are ignorant of the truth. They have based their, quote, Messiah on their expectations. Now what I want to look at, we're going to tack on just a few more verses here to think about what it is to to look at the Messiah, the Christ, on God's terms. After he says, if the, stone, if the people were silent, the stones would cry out. In verse 41, Jesus, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's a prophecy by Jesus what would happen 30 to 35 years later when Jerusalem would be destroyed. And he's placing the blame for that destruction squarely upon the people and their rejection of the Messiah. Because as you know the story, as, as Jesus made his way into the city, they welcomed him. They, they thought of him as the Messiah. They, they thought of him as a fulfillment of prophecy. But you know, later the crowd would cry out, what? Crucify him. Some of the same people being involved there, I'm sure, as were present when he came into the city. So when you look at this next passage, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it gives us a little insight as to what the people did not possess. And what the people in general, now when I say people, I mean in general. Certainly some of the Jews believed in Jesus. All the disciples were Jews, right? I mean, there were Jews who believed in Jesus. But on the large scale, the vast majority rejected him as Messiah as he revealed himself to them. But what they did not possess was a personal knowledge of him. They did not know him. Look what he says about Jerusalem. Would that you, even you, had known. And at the last verse I read, you did not know the time of the visitation. They saw him as the Messiah. They saw him as a fulfillment of prophecy, but they did not know him. Now, the portion of Scripture is hard to grasp. I mean, Jesus said... They are hidden from your eyes. They had been blinded in their spiritual eyesight. That is a difficult passage to to grasp and to understand. But because they had been blinded, they could not see spiritually. They could not know. 
One thing I'll say that most times when you see that in Scripture, though, you can directly relate it back to their actual rejection of the truth. And at some point, God says, that's enough. No more rejection of me, no more rejection of the truth. You are blinded from the truth for a time. And Jesus is saying here, they could not know because their eyes were blinded. Now, as I told you before, you've got to maintain, biblically, we can find this all through Scripture, you've got to maintain this tension between the two. That God sovereignly works in a way that's only known to Him. To open people's eyes and open people's hearts. To lead them. The Scripture says that no one seeks after God on their own. The Scripture also says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. So you tell me how we get from being dead to being able to see. It's only through the work of God. So we maintain that tension on one side that only God can open the eyes. And on the other side, we've got the, what Jesus tells us to do. To repent and believe. And so what man's responsible for is to receive the truth, act upon the truth, accept the truth, live by the truth. At the same time, God is the one who opens the eyes and opens the hearts. And so what you see in this passage is God is, is moving to blind their eyes for a time. And we're talking about the Jewish people in this particular sense, but you can apply it to our situation today. And oftentimes you see this blindness happening after a repeated rejection of someone of the truth of the gospel. But for those who have eyes to see, it's always interesting to me in this passage to go back and look at what's going on in the passage, to see God at work. And the reason I like to go back and do that is because it causes us, it gives us reason to rejoice in what He's done in our life. If we are in Christ today, it, it just is a joy to go back and look at what God has done to bring us to this point. And in this story here, I always like to look at this donkey. <laughs> I just love thinking about this donkey. Now, it's in the other Gospels also. He says, uh, Jesus said, go into the town. And you'll find a donkey or in, a, in his colt, the foal of a donkey, tied up as you come into the city. You say, well, he just foresaw that. Well, I, I guess he did foresee that. But you've got to go back to Zechariah hundreds of years before that. And God said, he's going to come in on a donkey. Which means... There's got to be a donkey on that day, in that spot, tied up when they come into the town. Now, that's an amazing thing for me to think about. You said, oh, well, they had donkeys everywhere. <laughs> oh, come on. It's right there where he said it's going to be. Why? Because God said on this day, at this time, my son is going to ride into Jerusalem. And they're going to proclaim His greatness and call Him the Messiah. It's going to happen now. That's why that donkey is there tied up. I call him the predestined donkey. I mean, come on. What brought you to Christ? Oh, just one day, I just, I mean, just, well, I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. Really? 
The Scripture tells you that no one seeks after God. Well, I always, I always studied Him since I was young and in Sunday school. I always heard about it in my home. I always heard about Jesus. Well, what if you were born in Thailand where nobody's talking about Jesus? What brought you to Jesus? Yes, you have the responsibility to respond to the truth. But I'm telling you, God worked in so many ways you can't count them to bring you to Him and to bring you to faith. And it was just as certain as this donkey being there tied up as they went into the city. Not only that, staying on the subject of the donkey, the willingness of the donkey... Why do you think they call people donkey donkeys? (laughs) It's because they're stubborn. The donkey never rejected Jesus sitting on... This this is the cult of the donkey. Which, you know, if you're trying to describe Jesus, it kind of leads us to believe he was not a very large man. I mean, look it up when you get home and find out how much weight a a, a colt can carry. But he doesn't reject Jesus sitting on him. He doesn't balk when he comes to the crowd. He's not stubborn. Why? Why? Because God said on that day, at that time, my son's going to ride on that coat just like I prophesied hundreds of years before through my prophet Zechariah. He's going to ride into that city. And he's going to go where I tell that donkey to go. One more thing about the donkey. Jesus said, when you go in there and somebody asks you, why are you untying the donkey? Because my Lord has need of him. Oh yeah, that always works. Why are you taking my car? Oh, the Lord has need of it. Same thing. Why did it work? Some people say, well, Jesus already made the connections. You know, he already knew the guy. You know, he already made arrangements. He just didn't tell his disciples. I guess so. But I don't think so. He said, the wording he told them to use is, my Lord has need for it. That means there is a necessity, which means, just as we said about Zacchaeus, when he said to Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today, it's going to happen. There is a necessity that my Lord have it. It's just wonderful to me, you know, as being in Christ, it's not to, it's not to try to muddle the water about those who are outside Christ. You know, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to say to those of us who are in Christ, look at what He's done to bring us to Him. It is as detailed as this little story here. But the Jews in general had rejected the Messiah. Their eyes were blinded. They did not see the Messiah as He really was. They were looking for an earthly Christ, an earthly warrior king, one who matched their expectations. One that they could accept on their terms after they made their evaluation. Here's what's unusual. This town that they came to, Bethpage or Bethphage, it means house of unripe figs. It was a place where the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin, they had two places they would meet. One of them was in Bethphage. And it was in Bethphage that they passed judgment upon the elders. Who is qualified to lead us? It was there in that town they passed judgment. Well, they passed judgment again and they missed it. 
because they had their own expectations of their ruler and their king. How does that apply to us? We are called today to yield to the Messiah, to the Christ, on His terms. You will find most people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not calling into, I'm not, I'm not questioning the fact that they are Christians. That's not for me to decide. But you will find among many who call themselves Christians that they will readily accept the Christ who brings salvation. I mean, that's why we became Christians, right? I mean, we, we wanted the, the way to heaven. We want the eternal life. We want the salvation. But that's not just how Jesus describes himself. That's not how the Scripture describes the Messiah, the King, the ruling King. Yes, to bring salvation, but to rule and reign in the hearts of his people. To not bring us a bunch of options Oh, we like options now. I like options. I mean, you go to order something at a restaurant, you got 100 options, right? We like options. But Jesus didn't come to bring options. He came to be the Lord. You say, well, that's, that sounds suppressing. No. Don't you know the Lord loves you? And don't you know He wants the very best for you? You can't come up with a better plan. But He calls upon us to surrender ourselves and yield our will, surrender our souls to Him. Who wants to be saved? Who wants to go to heaven? Everyone in the church is going to raise their hand. Who wants to bow the knee and yield to the authority of Jesus Christ? Who will rule and reign over every aspect of your life? He will rule over your finances. He will rule over your family. He will rule over your occupation. He will rule over your vote. He will rule and reign over every aspect of your life. How many Christians are going to jump up and say, I want that Lord? We want the Messiah that we have crafted. We want the Messiah that meets our expectations. But this Messiah, He demands our total surrender. And our response to what God does in working in our heart and drawing us toward Him, then we get to our response. We get to our responsibility in this whole matter. And that is simply, as Jesus said, to repent and believe. To repent means to turn away from doing things our own way. To to, to repent of our sin. To admit that we're on the wrong path. And to know that He is the Savior. To believe is to place our total trust into Him. I wish I could say it's a one-time thing, but you will deal with that the rest of your Christian life. The surrender, the submission. And when you think you've reached this level, God may say, well done. Now let's go to the next level. When you think you have surrendered your life, God's going to show you, how you still got a little part over here. You still got a little something about your, your character. You know, it wasn't time to get to that part yet, but God said it's time now. And all through the rest of our life, we're going to deal with that subject of surrender and submission. 
But listen, God knows that. God is patient with us. God wants us to grow in that regard. But we can't go to that next level without that total surrender and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just the word itself, Lord, gives you a hint of what we're talking about. Lord means absolute control. At the same time, once again, I would, I would urge you to remember the character of our Lord. It's not a tyrant. It's one who, as Paul says, loved us and gave himself for us. Who wants the very best for us. So the Messiah, the Messiah has come to the temple. He's come to the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Now you know, ultimately, Jesus knew that wasn't his ultimate purpose. As grand and glorious as the Herod's temple was, Jesus said, in three days I'm going to tear it down. Then I'm going to raise it up again. He's not concerned about that building. He's talking about being resurrected and finding his presence in his people. The Messiah that we follow and that we put our trust in is the Christ who came to rule and to reign not in an earthly kingdom, but in a heavenly kingdom. And to live in the presence of His people for all of eternity. So my question to you today, the first one was, is Jesus who you think He is? Don't water down Jesus. We all like to get those little books every time we don't understand anything and it dumbs it down, dumbs the subject matter down so that we can grasp and understand it. Don't do that with Jesus. He is the Lord and ruler of all. And He has called us to put our complete faith and trust and surrender in Him. So have you received Him, not on your terms, not on my terms, not on man's terms. Have you received Him on His terms? Have you received Him as He has revealed Himself to us in His Scripture? As the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of all. My prayer today is that you have trusted in Him. If you have trusted in Him and you have that assurance that He has given you this rebirth, has created a new person within you that has made you one of His children, then we rejoice in that today. And I pray that you'll rejoice as you think about just the, the, thing, the circumstances He brought together to bring you to Him. The love, as the Scripture says, or, or the old hymn says, the love that drew salvation's plan and the love that brought it down to man. Think about that. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus in that personal way, I pray that you'll simply do what He said to do. And that is repent of our sin, turn away from our sin, and put your full faith and trust in Him. If you know somebody today who has that spiritual need, pray along those lines. Who is it that opens the eyes? God does. Then you pray to God to open the eyes, to grant the understanding. So many times in Scripture He tells you very plainly that He blinded them. Well, if He blinded them, He can also open the eyes. And so you pray for their eyes to be opened. 
Then on a person-to-person level, you encourage them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the most that we can do on behalf of those who don't, don't know Christ. And so I pray that you'll be ready and willing to share that truth with anybody that needs to know the truth. And again, that you rejoice that you are in Christ today and rejoice in all that He's done for us in bringing us to Him. Brother Dan, do we have a, a closing hymn today? Okay. Um, we are still in this COVID environment, but if at any time you want to speak with me or have me pray with you, uh, then I'll be glad to do that. Uh, let me pray, and Brother Dan's going to lead us in this closing hymn. Father, we thank you again for your word. And as familiar as this story is to us, we study it every, every spring. Uh, but I pray, Lord, that you'll just have given us a different insight into it. Uh, nothing apart from the truth, but just a greater fulfilling of your truth that's contained in your word. Where we can see you as the Messiah, the one promised, the one who brings spiritual fulfillment to our heart and to our soul. And I thank you, Lord, for those of us today who are in Christ. I thank you for all that you have done to bring us to yourself, uh, to reveal yourself to us to open our eyes and our ears and give us understanding of you. We, are, we rejoice in that, Lord. And then we pray on behalf of those who are struggling spiritually, or those who are seeking, or those who have no interest in you. I pray that you would stir up within them uh, that desire to know you, that you would grant understanding, and that you will bring faith to their soul. Again, I thank you for each one who's here. Uh, we do lift up Brother Marvin and his church, in his hands, Baptist Church. We pray for them. We pray that you'll continue to provide for them, that you'll bless their fellowship, uh, that you'll grow them in their faith. And, Lord, that you'll be faithful to all the churches in our area here who faithfully preach the gospel and your word. I thank you again in Jesus' name. If you will, just listen to the words of this song. And I